Good morning and welcome to today's Sunday School lesson. The title of today's lesson is Proclaiming Christ and it's taken from the printed text of Philippians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 26. Let us pause for a word of prayer. Gracious and eternal Father, our Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for this hour. We thank you for this opportunity just to study your word, Father. We ask that you open up our hearts, our minds, and our souls and allow your spirit to pour into us so that we can learn more about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The aim for change is that by the end of this lesson, we will one, comprehend Paul's message of joy in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, we will reflect on the variety of motives for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And three, we're gonna fashion a personal proclamation of the gospel. Keep in mind, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice ye, and will rejoice. It's taken from Philippians, the first chapter, verse 18, King James Version. As a background for today's lesson, although Paul was writing from prison, joy is a dominant theme in this letter. The secret of his joy is grounded in his relationship with Christ. People today desperately want to be happy, but are tossed and turned by daily successes, failures, and inconveniences. Christians are to be joyful in every circumstance, even when things are going badly, even when we feel like complaining, even when everyone else is joyful. Christ still reigns and we still know him so we can always rejoice. Our focal verses for today are taken again from Philippians, the first chapter, verses 15 through 26, and I will read them in their entirety. And it reads as such, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of, content, of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, verse 17, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice ye, and will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ 
for me by my coming to you again. Paul considers the motives of others in the preaching in verses 15 through 18. Paul knew that some preached because they wanted to surpass Paul in ministry and to promote their own name and place above Paul's. These people were glad Paul was in prison because they felt this gave them a competitive edge over him and what they considered to be the contest of preaching the gospel. They were motivated, at least in part, by a competitive spirit, which too often is common among preachers. Paul wasn't so critical or cynical to believe that every other preacher had bad motives. He knew that some also preached from goodwill. Those who preach Christ from the wrong motive supposed to add affliction to Paul's chains. Their competitive hearts, wrong motive, excuse me, their competitive hearts didn't only want to win for themselves, they also wanted Paul to lose. They wanted Paul to admit the humiliation of having to admit that others were more effective in ministry than he was. They didn't understand that Paul honestly didn't care about this because he did not have a competitive spirit of ministry. So people preached the gospel more energetically motivated by Paul's imprisonment. Some were motivated in good in a good way and some were motivated in a bad way. Yet, nonetheless, they were motivated and Paul could rejoice in that. Remember that Paul's concern here was not with the content of the gospel being preached, only with the motives that of those that was preached. Paul objected, Paul would have objected if he thought a false or distorted gospel was preached, even if the even if the best if it came from the best motives. If Paul's imprisonment could not hinder the gospel, neither could the wrong motives of some. God's work was still getting done, and this was cause for rejoicing. In the next set of verses, subtitled Paul's Confidence in His in his present circumstances, Paul knew that the Lord was in control of all events. Even though his imprisonment was an impending trial before Caesar, Paul was so confident because he knew that the Philippians prayed for him. His deliverance in this present situation was connected to the prayer of the Philippians. We can hypothetically say that if the Philippians didn't pray for Paul, then God's deliverance for for Paul would, have, would be hindered. It certainly seems that Paul thought this way and it shows what a serious matter prayer is. However, it was not the prayer of the Philippians in and of itself that would meet Paul's need. It was the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ that came to Paul through the prayer of the Philippians. Paul's needs were met by the spirit of God, but this provision to Paul was brought about by the prayer of the Philippians. Though he was in prison and awaiting trial before Caesar, Paul had the confidence that he was in the center of God's will. He knew God was not punishing him through the adversity he experienced at the time. Paul lived his life not to preserve or promote himself, but to glorify Jesus Christ. If Jesus should one day decide that Paul could best glorify him through laying down his life, and Paul would be well pleased by that opportunity. Our next set of verses, verse 21 through 26, subtitled, Paul's lack of fear regarding death 
and how it affect how it affected his outlook on the ministry. In this portion, Paul knew that death was not a defeat to the Christian. It is merely a graduation to glory, a net gain for the Christian. Paul's death at the time would be a gain in two senses. First, his death for the cause of Christ would glorify Jesus, and that was gain. Second, to be in the immediate presence of the Lord was gain for Paul. The idea that Paul could consider death as a present gain argues against the idea of, of the soul sleep. This was uh, also obviously showed that Paul did not fear death. Though some men may fear dying, no Christian should fear death. Paul was confident that God intended him to be fruitful. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that this was God's plan for him. If Paul lived, it would be a fruitful life. In sad contrast, many Christians have not yet come to the place where it is a certainty that they, that they will bear fruit for the kingdom of God with their life. Knowing that this death could be a gain for both the gospel and for him personally, Paul was torn between being the Lord or continuing to minister, minister to, Philipp, to Philippians and others. Paul understood that others still needed him, that his work was not yet done. So while allowing for the possibility of, of his martyrism, he told the Philippians that he expects to be spared at this time. Paul was confident and full of faith. As it happened, Paul survived this imprisonment and was set free and was martyred later in, at Rome. He did come to visit the Philippians again. Paul's friendship with the Philippians was so close that he knew that they would be rejoicing to see him again. As we conclude today's lesson, every Christian professes belief in eternal life. Yet very often, when we think of death, we get, we get scared at the uncertainty of our fate. Perhaps this is because we do not feel certain about our salvation. Some may doubt Christ's promises. Our enslaved ancestors sang often of heaven, the streets paved with gold, the pearly gates where the Sabbath would have no end. They long for the day when, they, when trouble will be no more and every person would live in freedom and equality. Perhaps because there was there has been no general improvement in our, excuse me, perhaps because there has been a general improvement in our social and economic standing, many of us now appear to be in a place more value on life on earth than internal life. No matter what, what attainments life holds, it can never compare to the future glory of life with Christ Jesus. As Christians, we must rejoice in our assurance of eternal life and leave the matter of when we will go to heaven in the hands of God. This concludes today's lesson. Thank you for your time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for this word from Paul that proclaiming you is bigger than anything here on earth. Father, we want to lean and hold on to these words so that one day we can glorify you and be with you 
in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.